Hey guys, how's it going? We're back here with another edition of Chop Shop Sports. I'm joined today with NBA Chop Shop himself. Sean, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, it's been a dream of mine to be on the NBA Chop Shop podcast and now doing this with you. It's, it's going to be really cool. Looking forward to it. Um, you know, we're here today to just discuss the Jordan documentary um, that dropped Sunday night. Uh, and just a little bit, I was surprised that ESPN is doing it in two parts. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't do like one episode Sunday and then drop another one Wednesday, keep people tuning into ESPN, you know, once or twice a week rather than, um, just every Sunday. Yeah. I think one of the reasons to do that is make it like the schedule type program where it's just like next Sunday at nine, you and me know exactly what we're going to be doing and, and where we're tuning into. Um, and then it kind of gets on the thing. If you, if you happen to do something Wednesday, you, you get behind, you, you could lose track of it. I'm, I'm glad they uh, put out two as well. Cause that, that first hour went by so quick and, and the second hour went by fast too. I wish <laughs> they would have put three and four out, but we got something to look forward to. But what surprised me, what I was pleasantly surprised with was the lack of commercials. I know we're not talking content right now, just logistics of it. I was expecting ESPN with nothing else on to milk this for commercials, having a lot, but really the commercials were minimal. They were short. Um, yeah, I, I wonder how much that has to do with the ad revenue on a lot of the, the companies because you saw, like, I'm assuming Facebook and State Farm paid a a pretty penny for those like special vault like yep. scenes and which were great by the way i was thrown off by the first one with like the skinny jeans or joggers whatever they're talking about that was hilarious that was funny yep yep um yeah no you're right that is you know probably people are less inclined with less revenue you're gonna get less revenue you know you're not really didn't really see any car commercials because people aren't going out and buying cars um so that, that makes sense so let me just start here, Sean. What was what was your favorite part of the first two hours? I thought it was so cool to just see how different the game was and how people. I, I mean, how it was consumed, uh, like on a big scale, because you you saw the first time they're talking about what, how like the Bulls weren't even a thing in Chicago, like there was that yeah. arena football team which is just incredible to to try to grasp. And then the other thing was the fact that Jordan, when he got hurt in that second year, went to North Carolina and then, <laughs> like, wasn't supervised by the team and ended up, sw- like, yeah, probably sent him a couple pictures of him in the pool, be like, this is all I'm doing. And then he was out there playing five on five. And nowadays, if your number uh, – if you're, your first pick in the in the first round, like – if that's your first pick, you're going to have a team with him pretty much at all times. Um, and it's just a completely different time period. So that was kind of cool to see just how different things were. That was one of the things I wrote down is that the sports world in the 80s and 90s was so different. And, you know, we're young guys and, you know, me and you watch a lot of old time. So we, we know the, the players of the game, but like we forget that 
the world, the sports world was different. Like people, you know, teams play overseas now. It's not that big a deal, but you know, when the bulls went to Paris, that was a huge deal. Um, you know, and I, I wrote that down in reference to revenue and money that the players were making. But just even like you mentioned, the North Carolina rehab, that doesn't happen. Joel Embiid was not unsupervised when he got injured in that 2015 or 2016 year. Whatever he I bet he wish he was. <laughs> he probably wishes he was. It probably would have worked out better. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're, not, you're not wrong. The, the sports world was completely different. Um, I think it was really cool that – I think the coolest thing for me was the fact that they knew it was the last dance. It was their last run as a, uh, as a team. And I don't know if you saw Draymond Green the other day. Um, I was watching it, uh, his, the rerun of it today. Him saying that his regret with KD is that KD left that team, that franchise, in limbo the whole year. Uh, what are you doing next year? I don't know. Are you coming back? I don't know. Are you leaving? I don't know. You know, KD didn't have an answer and, and left the franchise kind of in limbo. It wasn't that way with the Bulls. Phil Jackson was leaving, so Michael was going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, Pippen, as we've seen, was done with the organization. He was probably going to leave. Um, so just the fact that they gave camera crews that much access, which to us in today isn't, you know, that's kind of the normal with social media and cameras everywhere, every everybody has a phone that can post the World Wide Web. You know, that, that was just access that didn't happen um, in that time period. Yeah, you make a great point with, again, Jordan's loyalty to a coach, which I, I have not seen something similar to that as far as just saying, look, I'm not going to, be here if the coach isn't here usually it's like we gotta get this guy out yep and that's that's kind of the if i come in we gotta clean house which is what kraus pretty much was doing and again you talk about kd leaving them in limbo i know we didn't want to bring this guy's name up but (laughs) when you say that it just reminds me of lebron with the whole Cavs thing it's like i won't commit long term i i can't and then that just hinders your team so much so it's interesting to see the that coming from the top level in the Bulls organization where it's literally the general manager who's hindering the team and not like a spoiled player who wants the spotlight on. Like the general manager was so obsessed with the spotlight that he blew this up after after um, well where we're at in the show is after like five rings he was blowing this up, which yep. is ridiculous. And and um. The other thing, too, with him and whoever said – I forget who said it. The short man syndrome. Like, you look at him and you think this guy was probably picked on his entire life. And he has built a great, great organization from the ground minus one person. And that one person is getting all the recognition. Rightfully so. You know, you know Michael Jordan obviously – the greatest or the second greatest player to ever walk the uh, face of the earth. But none of the recognition was going to the ownership. And that's from what I've seen, everything he was trying to do was, Hey, look at what the front office is doing, not what the guys on the court are doing. Yeah. I think Steve Kerr might've had the best line of the whole thing when, when he said that Jerry Krause was a great general manager, but he just couldn't get out of his own way. And 
that Steve always seems to have like really well said uh, quotes, pretty good perspective. And I mean, he hit the nail on the head because the, the owner of the team talks about, look, I didn't want this guy to go out and win personality contests. Yep. I want him to build the best team possibly could, which as like an owner and a business man who wants to just, who wants to make the money, which you have to win games to do, which you have to have a good team to do. I mean, that's a pretty good business model, but then if the guy just could get out of his own freaking way, I mean, I don't understand. It was so bizarre to watch how obsessed he was with the credit that he was getting because I would love to know the common fan today, if they could name like more than three general managers in the entire NBA, it's just like those guys lurk in the shadows now. And they, I feel like um, it's much less of a power trip than Jerry Krause was, uh, trying to chase. Really, the only time general managers are getting heat is when you make a franchise-altering move. Like you see Bill O'Brien right now in the NFL with the hot water he's in from trading DeAndre Hopkins. Like you don't see – guys don't get brought up for minor trades or draft picks. Um, the NFL drafts Thursday, you're not going to see – you know, the Saints – GM is not going to be getting recognition if they make a great pick at 24 overall. It doesn't happen. Like everybody knows that that's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's move on a little bit to what was the most surprising thing from you know the first two episodes. Uh, I touched on this a little earlier, but just the fact that you have this asset who is t- took your franchise by absolute storm in the first season and then he gets hurt and the, I know I talked about the North Carolina thing and that was the most surprising thing to me that he wasn't supervised, but in the same realm of that was how bizarre the minutes restriction was because what is the point of a 14 minute per game minute restriction? And Jordan had to be so adamant about like, look, I need to be on the floor because 14 minutes makes no sense. If you're going to play, seven minutes half he's just driving himself crazy yep. he looked like he he wanted to kill someone whenever he'd get pulled I, I couldn't imagine being told you're gonna play 14 minutes and then you have to be on the bench watching the rest the next 34 minutes of the game like are you kidding me that'd be torture for someone as competitive as mj and, was and, uh, that was surprising and you look at the game the one game example where there's 31 seconds left and you, you're saying if you play him in the final 31 seconds, so in the books, I don't even think it says you play eight minutes. You still played seven minutes. I don't know exactly if that's true. But the fact that, to me, what that proved and it showed in the playoffs is they were tanking and they did not want to make the playoffs. That's what that showed. That's what that was to me because as soon as they made the playoffs, those minute restrictions were gone. They didn't ease them to 14 minutes a half, 28 in the game. It went straight to play as much as you want, which I imagine was pretty close to 48. Yeah, that's a great point because at the time, the whole like tank, tanking thing wasn't a word, but you could see it in one interview when the woman asks him, like, do you think how much of this is tied to the Bulls wanting to get a better pick? And you can see MJ. He just – it doesn't make sense to him why – you would put on a uniform, the coach would go out onto the floor, and then you would take half measures 
and not put your best foot forward and try to win the game. Like it was, he could not comprehend the idea of suiting up for a game and not doing absolutely everything in your power to win. It was again, a different time, a different time. There wasn't half the league doing that. And I can't imagine how, how tough that was for him for that, uh, second half of the season. And my favorite part of that whole injury situation was when uh, the owner's talking to him about the the pills and the headache. You have a headache and nine of the pills will cure you and one will kill you. And he goes, well, how bad's the headache? I mean, that's the type <laughs> of guy he was. Um, when I read that quote, like, before, because I saw that earlier on Sunday, I was so confused. It's <laughs> like, what does this mean? I, I was also... So yeah, I, I saw a clip, um, and it was I was I agree that that was a confusing out of context. That is a weird. Well, let me ask you, Sean, if you had if you had a headache and nine ninety percent of the pills are going to save you, ten percent are not. Are you taking you taking the pill or no? How about the headache? <laughs> I'm gonna say it's, I'm, I'm gonna say it's a Scotty Pippen migraine here. Oh, then I'll pay him like $4 million and then try to make everyone talk about him being poor for the week in between episodes. So let's, let's, that, uh, that was the point I wanted to make. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Pippen and his payday. Cause for starters, from basketball salaries, he made more than Michael Jordan in his career, which is unbelievable to think about. And what they, I was watching first take this morning, is either, Hopefully it was Stephen A. So you'll take the point a little bit more serious than if it was Max Kellerman. <laughs> they said Michael Jordan was underpaid his whole career. I mean, Michael Jordan made like ninety million dollars somewhere roughly around there in his career, and like seventy of it was in the his last two seasons with the Bulls. He was making like thirty-two and thirty-six his last two years. So it's not like Michael Jordan was getting thirty-plus million dollars every single year like LeBron has or. Kobe or KG or um, Westbrook or any of these Steph Curry, these guys get absurdly large contracts. It wasn't like that back then. Back then, usually one guy on the team got paid. Yeah, and even then, it wasn't anywhere near the thirty number. No, like no TV deal. I I, I told my dad, I was like, that's he was. I didn't know he made that much at any point. I didn't know the contracts were that big, and that was the bird rule where teams could offer an existing player as much money to get them to stay, which I think is uh, something the NBA should look at going towards now. You know, saying one contract isn't against the salary cap. You can pay whoever you want if they're returning to stay. Um, try to keep guys, you know, franchises that are rebuilding and losing star players like Devin Booker. I mean, if Devin Booker's getting three times the money, he's never leaving Phoenix. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's an argument for a different day, but um, oh no! I'm saying I'll cry if Devin Booker never leaves Phoenix. I need, I need my man to start winning games somewhere. He needs he yeah he either needs help or or he's got to go. Uh, we'll see what Phoenix can do to get him some help. Um, but and uh, and going back to you know comparing it to today, everybody talks about the team can you know the team has ultimate control. It's a business. They do what's best for them. But the owner told Scottie Pippen not to sign the contract. Yeah, which I don't really believe. And, and whether we believe that or not, I, I can't imagine that everything else seems to be factual. I don't know if that could slip in and be fiction. I mean, he, I feel like he might have said it to him, but like 
in a way, I just don't believe that in contract negotiations, he's going to put a piece of paper in front of Scottie Pippen and say, hey, don't sign this deal because it sucks. Well, so I, I don't know. Like, I'm sure like that conversation transpired in one way or another, but I don't think it was as cut and dry I, as the owner of the team trying to ruin what would for him be the deal and cash out of a lifetime. So what I think it was, and I could be wrong with my understanding of how the contract worked, is it was a contract extension that was given. And I think Scotty wanted long-term security. And Mm -hmm. the owner wanted, you know, you and look at today, the max you can get now, I think is five years, the max extension you can sign. You look, if Scotty signs a two-year extension, then after that he can get signed a, whatever big numbers were back then, four, $8 million, whatever a big number back then was. But because he signs a seven-year deal, he wasn't Scotty Pippen really until they win their first title. So he was, in, he was playing it safe, and he lost. You know, He didn't gamble on himself. He took the safe route. And then figured, then realized he was being underpaid. I, I don't think that that's fair either. Yeah, yeah. that's having your cake and eating it too. Oh. Like your, your comment on Pippin not being Pippin before a certain time, everyone that watched at that time, like you said, uh, we weren't able to, but everyone like in that time era when Pippin was going through this whole thing with um, delaying the surgery and sitting out, Everyone was like, what is this guy complaining about? Like, who, like, what's going on? Like, he wasn't, I guess, as well known as obviously he is today or as vital. People didn't know how crucial he was to, like, the Bulls at the time. And so that's why it might not have been received well uh, from, like, a fan mm-hmm. uh, perspective of, like, well, what does this guy want? Like, we, you play with the best guy ever. Like, who are you? I, and, and I think Michael, Calling him selfish is fair. Not in, and not in the sense that trying to get paid is being selfish. Look, it's a business. We, we've talked about this every other day. I feel like we talk about how sports is a business. And, you know, as a player, you got to get yours. But delaying the surgery isn't, isn't smart. If you want to get paid... When the team wants to get rid of you because you're not healthy and you're a liability moving a long-term liability, don't you think you want to get healthy and show them that you're just as good now as you were two, three years ago? To me, that's the selfish part of it. And then you're coming. Now you're missing games because you are rehabbing. And again, goes back to Jordan, not understanding like why you wouldn't want to play. Um mm-hmm. Now you're missing games because you're rehabbing. You don't have the control to come back. If you're sitting out because of contract disputes, not injury, to, the next day you could say, never mind, I want to play, and you're playing. Well, with the injury, you have to wait till you're healthy. Um, yeah, I don't know the specifics with the whole Rodman scenario, but like he wasn't in France because they just slid it right in there. It was like Dennis wasn't in uh, France because he was holding out and Scotty wasn't in France because he was hurt. And then on that opening night when they're getting the rings, you see Dennis Rodman suiting up and he's playing like, cause that's what happens. You hold out, you come to an agreement, boom, yep. it's, it's um, all 
all gravy. But then if you're hurt, it's a whole different story because that, that just adds another layer, like you said, to the And it thing. slows down the process. Like, look at yeah. Ezekiel Elliott two years ago going to Cabo or last summer or whatever it was going to Cabo rehabbing like it happens. Or Dak Prescott now not attending his virtual um, workouts because contract dispute. That's one thing. But when you're hurt also, it makes the team a little less – gives them less incentive to sign you. Um and really, he should have, and this is, again, quote in first take, but he should have sat out after he won 67 games without Michael that first year. That's the time to say the best player in the world just retired, and we had a minor drop-off. I <laughs> think I should be getting paid. That would have been a good time to step up and say and sit out the 94-95 year uh, when Jordan ultimately came back. That would have been a better time to sit out um, but I, my last, my last comment on the whole Pippin thing is the guys that are making this show, the guys who are directing it, I forget his name. Um, this is an incredibly smart group of people, yeah. obviously, but they paint the picture in the way that the dude is poor <laughs> and never got, and never made money. And then the episode ends. And then what are people going to talk about? What drives the story? Oh my gosh, Scotty Pippin this, Scotty Pippin that. What the heck? Like the dude made, like you said, way more. He made more than Jordan. Um, so they kind of leave you with that cliffhanger and dangle the bait. It's all by design. Yep. It's very and smart because that was kind of the leading story after the first two episodes. It wasn't like, oh, geez, you see that fadeaway MJ had when, or you see him put, like, no one even talked about, um, or I mean, I guess people knew about it. Maybe that's why it was like less of a, uh, a bomb that was dropped on them. But seeing that 63 on, one of the best teams of all yep. time, Birds and Celtics, was jaw-dropping. Yep. And then how – the other thing that surprised me too was how incredible he was at UCLA. Everyone UNC. kind of made – I mean, at yep. UNC. Everyone kind of made it sound like he was some bum. <laughs> the guys at – the guys at UCLA uh, – why do I keep saying that? The guys at UNC, the coaches, um, Dean and – Roy Williams. Roy Williams were like, this guy's the best player we've seen. Yeah. <laughs> like, and – that those are some takeaways like uh the, the basketball fans but then what drives the story in between episodes oh my gosh like there's this rift between the the greatest player of all time and his and his partner and it's like there really isn't because if you listen to what mj said yep. he was like i couldn't ask for a better uh team. he says you can't talk michael like, jordan boom. without scotty pippen um yeah and pippen had outside contract uh you know shoe deals as well um, and, and for people who, if you were actually naive enough to think he was poor after watching where he was <laughs> being interviewed from, like, come on, did you see his house? No, it's not Jordan's house, but Jordan's making a bazillion dollars from his shoes still. I am glad that the director, uh, <laughs> included the clips whenever MJ was complimentary of Scotty. Cause it would have, it would have been maddening. Yeah for this whole week to, for them to try to like tease you in a way saying these guys hated each other or something that, that would just be, you have enough incredible content yeah. in just the facts that happened. You don't need to make us read in between the lines you want us to read between. That's, that'd so be BS. My mom came in, I think halfway through the second episode and like her first question was, are these two guys friends? It's like, yeah, I would yeah. say they are. This is like a LeBron mm. Wade I wouldn't say it's that close, but as close to a really good friend as I'm sure Jordan has. 
Um, which brings me to my next point. Before we talk to the UNC days, I want to touch briefly what you think this 21-year-old, 20-year-old kid, whatever he was when he got drafted, showing up in the summer league, whatever, first hotel, seeing the lines of coke, the weed, and the girls. Do you think that has something to do with the person he kind of became in the ISO, like the isolated, um, you know, he's known as being more isolated about, not about him in a selfish way, but stuck to himself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, It reminded me of Kobe whenever I saw this, because Kobe always talks about in his rookie year and in like the years following, they'd get to a hotel. He was too young to go anywhere. All his teammates would go drinking. They'd go to bars and clubs and he couldn't go. So he would be by himself and he, he had all this time and he could choose how to use that time. And then he said, once he became of age, that was just the norm. And he, he had this pattern, he had his routine and it worked and it didn't include all that extra BS. Now I will say, um, I don't know the level of Jordan keeping to himself because later in his career, he certainly adopts the uh, not be not sleeping, being out, throwing a little <laughs> money on the table and getting into some extra but, but I will say that um, early on in, in his career, uh, it had to be a forming block, like a, for, a formative thing for him to experience because there was a real problem with cocaine uh, in the NBA in the 80s. And then I'm, I'm not sure how much in the 90s, but I, with the whole yep. bias thing too in um, 80s, sometime. Um, in the eighties, yep, it was in the eighties. Yep. Yeah. Re- real problem. And that was kind of funny, uh, to hear about though, whenever like, Oh, it's, Oh, it's just a rook. It's just a rook. Yep. Get in here. <laughs> and he gets in there. He's like, I gotta get out of here. But yeah. Uh, another good nugget of, uh, story to, to hear from the dog. He, uh, Lumbi, so he died after the 86 draft. Could you imagine Larry Bird and the Celtics? If you throw him who, he is supposed to be the best player ever. Like the buzz that we talk about Jordan in like retrospect is what he had. Um, Cause at that point, Jordan didn't quite have that. Although bird did say that he was like, it was like playing God, um, mm-hmm. not a God, the God. Um, but Len bias had that, that Celtics team might not have ever lost in 87. If Len bias doesn't, um, yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to say '86 because I was like, "There's no they way they just won the title. Um, no way they have the one yeah. pick." Yeah, um, man, Boston's had it good for a while. It's like the uh, Spurs having an off year because David Robinson's hurt. Yeah, most hurt, and then they get Tim Duncan. Um, also, Jordan retiring helps, obviously, in '99, but. Uh, Let's go back to that UNC days with Jordan and a quote that really stuck out for me with Michael. There's there about Michael. Um, there were two. One, Roy Williams, both from Roy Williams. The first one is he's the only player who could turn it off and on, and he never turned it off. So that was one. And then the second one was him, Michael Jordan, telling Roy Williams he's going to be the best player to ever come through North Carolina. And he was like, well, you're going to have to work harder. Jordan's like, what do you mean? I go practice this and that. He's like, I thought you said you wanted to be the best ever come through here. Um, 
I thought those were two really interesting quotes from obviously a great coach um, who's still the head coach there. What do you think about about those two quotes from Roy Williams? Yeah, I think it's incredible to hear how um, much of this was out of their control in terms of Jordan's development and Scotty's because the summer that Jordan got cut it said, in high school, it said the guys were like, yeah, he went and worked on his game. But the biggest thing was he grew. Yeah. He grew like four inches yep. or something. Same thing with Scotty. It was like he starts as a freaking manager and then he, he comes back the summer and now he's six, six. And it's like, yep. geez, like, these guys are just, uh, they hit that, they hit the lottery there. I will say um, the Jordan comment about him and the competitiveness because they also said how raw he was in his first year, how much better he got. I think that goes, you can trace that back to the early days when he was with his brothers and playing because uh, how formative that was for him. He said he was always trying to like, uh, he kind of did say get his father's attention whenever he was uh, playing in those games with his brother and he come coming to blows with the people that you love. That's that was just baked into him. And Everywhere he got, it was just a nothing new because he even heard him when he got to the Bulls. He goes, I'm going to find out who the, the best guy is here, who's the leader of this. I'm not going to say anything because my words don't have any meaning, but I'm going to go at him, and everyone's going to know I'm going at him. And that's just something that it was baked into Michael Jordan from the jump, and that was incredible I to watch. I think if there's one takeaway for good basketball players across the world, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, that's the line that sticks out most to me is when you come in, your words don't mean anything. Nobody gives, you know, nobody gives an F what you have to say, go out and prove it. And that's kind of today's culture with social media is these kids now think they are so good because they were the best player at their high school or their AAU team or their last town but they forget the jump that you have to make going from high school to college, college to the pros. Um, you look at the NBA draft every single year. I mean, how many of those rookies come in and make an impact? Yes, there's four or five, but 30 guys get drafted. And it takes a couple years for guys to start hitting their stride uh, and become franchise players. Or you look at guys like Michael Carter-Williams, who has a great rookie year, then you never hear from the guy again. So I think that's something. It's tough. I think that's something that guys and this guy was the best player in the world. He, I, something tells me he knew he was the best player at that point, but he knew he had to prove it to other people, not just himself. But that self confidence led him to be what he was. Oh, for sure. And the other thing you got to keep in mind with this is we keep talking about how different it was back then until now was I feel like now if you're like the best player in seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade, like on a, on a more national level, there are a lot of safety nets around you. Like people are in your corner to make it like, to make you get to where you should go. Whereas back then there just seemed to be so many stories. It was like, Oh, this guy was supposed to be the next blank. This guy was the best player I've ever well, like NBA guys will come out and say, this guy was the best player I'd ever seen play, and he didn't even make it to um, the second semester 
uh, first year yep. in MCA. And it's like there weren't as many safety nets built in. And I think a lot of that has to do with how less of the financial reward opportunity, yep. like the whole thing with the, with the money to guys and inf- much more information as to what you have to do and the 100% things you cannot do that are going to blow everything up you have going for you. And, and just to touch upon that, you know, the financial reward of people helping high school, top high school athletes. Um, I don't know if you remember, it was our junior, senior year, that time period. It was like this big scandal about a basketball, basically a basketball warehouse where a dude was bringing, like basically bringing kids from Africa and like giving like this false dream and false hope, um, about the NBA future, the prospects they would have. And basically, it was it was awful. The living conditions were awful. I'm not heard about this. Awful. This is terrible. Um, and then, yeah, and, yeah, and it, um, ble- I think it was Bleacher Report reported the story, and one of those kids was actually on my a- after it happened, and they kind of when it blew up, they kind of those kids were just left on their own. Um, my AU team was a statewide team, so he came. Um, played with us, and our coach ended up taking really good care of him, thankfully. Jeez. Um, and he ended up getting um, – he was a seven-footer. He got a Division One offer his first game. But it was like this awful thing. And the things people will do now for those kids who they think if they help them, they'll get a paycheck, it's, it's awful and terrible. And that was not – there wasn't that back then. Um, so I guess it's kind of if somebody's genuinely helping you, it's beneficial, but you can also find yourself a lot of people do get screwed over, especially guys that have that natural height, the seven footers, guys that are six nine, six ten in ninth grade. Um get taken advantage of. Um just want to put that little plug in there. Um yeah. What else what else you got for me here, Sean? Any other um, thoughts, comments about what are you looking forward to? Yeah, next? I'm looking forward to more from Phil Jackson because I have I've read a few of Phil's books and and most of them were centered around his relationship with him and Kobe, and but he would always reference mm-hmm. Jordan. He would always reference Jordan, and that's why there's so much similarity between Kobe, Kobe and Jordan. Yeah, so Kobe I'm interested to see uh, some the rifts between Phil and MJ because two very different approaches. Uh, obviously I want the same thing, but Phil, I, I wonder how much they're going to get into his like whole, uh, his perspective and everything because he's in a, he's a very interesting guy. And I would love to see how MJ initially took that with some of Phil's more abstract um, philosophies. So we're, I'm looking forward to that because right now it's, it's all, uh, Roses with the, in between the two. And then the other thing I'm interested yep. in seeing is some Dennis Robin stuff because that guy is a whack job. And I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that's what I was, that's what I was yeah, for looking sure. forward to. The, the 48 hours in Vegas or whatever that little, little nugget Jordan um, said right at the end of the episode makes me think episode three is going to be about Rodman. Um, yeah, he is, you know, you if you saw the Bad Boys documentary, you know that he's an interesting <laughs> guy. Um, 
I loved I loved my favorite part, and I know we talked favorites already, but you touched it a little bit. My favorite part was Danny Ainge and Michael Jordan playing golf the day before game. Yeah, I was two. confused too. I too. I had no like, idea. When I I was like, no way. I would have never thought that MJ playing with you know that that strikes me as a modern thing that guys are friends and doing stuff like that. Um, and then the fact that he loses, he doesn't play well. He loses and loses the couple bucks, and they keep saying a couple bucks. I'm sure there are mm-hmm. a couple zeros um, behind those few bucks to Danny Ainge and says, uh, tell your boy I got something coming for him. <laughs> yeah, DJ's in for a long uh, night. And then goes off and drops six. <laughs> and, you know, the Bill Walton, who looks like uh, Will Ferrell and said, 100%. I can't get that out of my head. Uh, it's so it's so calm. And I was watching the – the rerun of the Celtics and Lakers the other day, uh, that, that 30 for 30. So it's just so funny. It's still fresh in my mind. That's what, uh, I can't believe I, that's bewilders me that, that MJ would do that. Um, so cool. Uh, so the way we've been ending these Sean is a little, a little, uh, trivia here. And I think we have talked about this in the past, so I was hoping Brian would be able to join us, and he I could stump him. Who, um, what numbers did Michael Jordan wear as a Chicago? Oh, I think I might. I think I got this. Right. Twenty-three. Right, let's Forty-five. And then I want to say yep. twelve. All right. Yep. All there right. it is. Right. There it is. The the forty-five when he came back post retirement. And 12, when I think they were playing the Magic, they lose the jersey, they lose the luggage. He doesn't have a secondary jersey, or somebody stole his jersey, whatever it was. And they have, as he's warming up, they've got team officials like roaming the, roaming the stadium looking for somebody with an authentic Michael Jordan jersey that he could wear. Like, could you imagine you know, somebody from the Bulls organization that, hey, Michael needs to wear that jersey tonight. Like, would be unreal. Different times. times. Yeah, that definitely is not the case today. They definitely have plenty nowadays. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Awesome, Sean. It was great having you here. Great, great chopping it up. First time in a while. This quarantine. Oh, man. All right. All right. Hope you're staying Um, well. uh, I'm doing well. Family's still doing well. All right, Sean, uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again next week with NBA Chop Shop to continue discussing the Jordan documentary. In the meantime, Brian will be coming back. We'll be doing a post-draft recap, the winners and the losers, and discussing a little bit about the quarterbacks and their new homes. So tune into that. Continue to follow us at Chop Shop Sports on Instagram. And at NBA Chop Shop for great sports content. Uh, Thanks for listening.